Um, so I, I read that the only reason why they hired Jake to play the country bumpkin because he actually had teeth that he could remove. What? That was his only bonus. Yeah. You're hired. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the large gaps. From Rosemary's Baby and Reagan McNeil, to Jason, Freddie, and Chucky, to Samara, Jigsaw, and Pennywise, we can't get enough. If it's blood-curdling, spine-tingling, breath-quickening, or soul-stealing, we're ready to watch it. Welcome to Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards. With me tonight are my two co-hosts, Ann Conley. Hey guys, this is Ann with an E, and now I don't live in Green Gables. And Helen Stewart. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) So, Ann, you were... Not with us for the Exorcist recording. You were out in California. How That's was your, right. How was your vacation? I know. I'm so sorry I missed the Exorcist recording first and foremost. Um, yeah, the vacation was great. I was visiting my girlfriend and her 10-week-old baby. So it was a bit more of a babycation, but um, it was really great. Not in like a possessed, creepy Ghostbusters 2 baby sort of way <laughs> at all. <laughs> Not Rosemary's baby. Not Rosemary's baby. No, none, none of the creepy baby factors. Um but there certainly was plenty of spit up and certainly a lot of blood curdling crying. So, you know, maybe similar. Equally horrifying. <laughs> <In> some ways. <laughs> yeah, no, we had a really great time. Thanks for asking, Ray. All right. So tonight we are going to be reviewing Evil Dead 2, also known in publicity materials as Evil Dead 2 Dead by Dawn. It's a 1987 American comedy horror film directed by Sam Raimi and a parody sequel to the 1981 horror film The Evil Dead. The film was written by Raimi and Scott Spiegel, produced by Robert Tappert, and stars Bruce Campbell as Ash Williams. So the filming took place in Michigan and North Carolina in 86, and the film was released on March 13th, 1987. It was a minor box office success, achieving just under $6 million, and garnered positive reviews, which critics praised Raimi's direction and Campbell's performance. Like the original, Evil Dead 2 has accumulated a cult following. The film was followed by a third installment, Army of Darkness, in 1992, and a television series, Ash vs. Evil Dead, in 2015. So to start, we usually talk about what our expectations were going into the to watching the movie, and also whether we've seen it before. So, uh, Helen, you want to start us off? Sure. I um, saw this movie probably when I was about 15. I was watching it with an ex-boyfriend who thoroughly enjoyed the whole trilogy, shall we call it? Sure. Um, and I was vastly disappointed at the time, because I did not realize that this was having a humor component to it. Um, so I watched it and I was like, you have got to be kidding me that you made me sit there for an hour and 30 minutes watching nonsense. Um, but rewatching it, I was, I had a much better time the second time around. (laughs) Okay. And when I first saw this movie, honestly, I was too young when it came out. So I didn't see it in movie theaters. Um, and honestly being a white chick in the suburbs, wasn't watching this at my girl's sleepover party. So I probably didn't see this movie until... I was, I don't know, 25, 27 years old, probably with you, Ray, hanging out, quite honestly. And um, I definitely, I've always liked uh, Army of Darkness. I always liked Bruce Campbell, you know, big fan of the Ash vs. Evil Dead 2015 TV series. So I love the character. Um, I was really excited to go back and actually watch Evil Dead 2 again. Um, Just knowing, of course, it's supposed to be somewhat of a, a... not somewhat a complete parody, right? It's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to have this comical, um, and and really kind of. I was expecting a lot of witty humor because the TV show, um, I think, has a lot of kind of like smart ass comments, right? Really good characters. So I w- I think I was kind of using a lot of the template uh, expectations from the TV show going back and watching this a second time, which led to a little bit of a disparity in in experience delivery. I saw. Army of Darkness first. And so all of my sort of preconceived notions of what the second movie should have been when I saw it later uh, was informed by Army of Darkness. And Army of Darkness is much campier. Ash Williams is much more of a broad character, much more uh, sort of womanizing and almost, I want to say, an anti-hero to some extent. But you don't really root for him uh, like you sort of root for Ash in this movie. So when I first saw this movie, and I don't remember exactly when I saw Evil Dead 2 all the way through... But when I first saw this movie, I remember not liking it all that much because Army of Darkness is such a different movie. 
Uh, and then, and I agree, Anne, Ash versus Evil Dead is the sort of culmination of all the different iterations of Ash Williams in sort of the Evil Dead mythology. And they, they do a really good job in that show of blending the, the horror and the camp and the funny all together. So if that's it, then let's uh, roll the trailer, Anne. All right, here we go. Evil Dead official trailer and action. Four years ago, in this quiet forest, in this cozy cabin, something happened. Something so frightening. Something so deadly. Something so evil. We prayed it would never happen again. Now, from the creator of Evil Dead comes Evil Dead 2. The movie opens with a brief and altered slash reimagined recap of the first movie. Ash Williams and his girlfriend Linda take a romantic vacation to a seemingly abandoned cabin in the woods. While in the cabin, Ash plays a tape of an archaeologist Raymond Noby, the cabin's previous inhabitant, reciting passages from the Book of the Dead, Necronomicon Ex Mortis, which he has discovered during an archaeological dig. The recorded incantation unleashes an evil force known as the Kandarian Demon, that kills and later possesses Linda, turning her into a deadite. Ash is then forced to decapitate his girlfriend with a shovel and bury her near the cabin. Okay, so when this film actually opens up, I have to say I loved all of the classic cinematography tricks. Like, I actually really love that, like, you know, circa 1939 double-exposed film. Just, like, the really, you know, there aren't any special effects back in the day, so in order to make ghostly figures or anything like that, right, they would just expose the film twice to have these double exposures or these kind of mystical elements that came across in, in even very early movies. So I was really digging that. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. I was getting really excited. I was like, these are going to be some really good good effects going on in this. And, you know, knowing from our previous history, like if it's campy and interesting, sort of all these things layering in there that we were, we were in, a, in for a good ride. Um, and then, you know, I was cracking up though, because right after that kind of cool old school, um, you know, very, very real and like original, like authentic type of effect. Then we have this shot of like the toy car going across the bridge. (laughs) (laughs) And from there I was like, Hmm, (laughs) well, that's okay. I was like, it's kind of cute. We'll see. So in the original movie, Ash Williams, his girlfriend Linda, his sister, and I believe her boyfriend go up to the cabin. And up until the point in this movie, and we haven't gotten there yet in the review, where he's face down in the water and he gets possessed, that's like the end of the first movie. So up until that point in this movie is sort of a reimagination of what happened in the first movie. And I felt like you could tell that because it was so quick. Everything happened so quick up to that point. Like, they're in the car. They're at the cabin. Uh, They go through a really quick, like, romantic uh, talk. They show the necklace because they have to because that's the thing that gets him unpossessed. And then, bam, he's listening to the recording. And then, bam, she's taken. And then, bam, he kills her. And then she's buried. So I, I felt like all that was really, really fast and rushed to kind of get to the point where they could start telling them the story that they wanted to tell, which is the sequel to the first movie. I read the reason they had to do this was because it was a, it was a rights issue. Um, I had heard the same thing, but I, I think when it starts off with the vortex, with the Necronomicon book, I was like, all right, I'm settling in. I know this isn't going to be serious. Let's just 
relax and watch this and see what other crazy effects are going to take. And then we see the toy car going across the bridge. And I'm like, what kind of bridge is this? Like, this is the most ridiculous looking <laughs> yeah. bridge. Like, you couldn't have, like, Legoed that a little bit better. <laughs> um, you see, like, the magnet going underneath the bridge with the car, <laughs> you know, pulled by the fishing wire. Um, and then, like you said, it, it did happen fast. And I, I knew it was a, kind of trying to recap without using the previous movie scenes. But, like, the whole, hey, let's go get some champagne. Here's this tape recorder. Like, you put the bottle of champagne there. Like, you didn't notice the tape recorder. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then let's listen to it. And then you hear the guy saying, here's some words from the Necronomicon. It's creepy as hell. I personally would shut the damn thing off. I would not listen to it further. And, no, let's just continue to listen to these incantations. And the next thing you know, my girlfriend's gone. Yeah. I mean, my question is who rewound the tape? Right, like the, I thought the, the same the mother, thing. The, it starts perfectly. Hen- Henrietta's exactly. dead in the basement, and the father is I don't know somewhere else. His body's <laughs> definitely some you know definitely not in the house. So yeah, who rewound the tape? The demon. I guess so. I guess maybe he could reset it. Sure, which, why not? Which theoretically, you know, would be a smart move. On his sure, point, Abs- so. absolutely. That's fair. There you go. Okay. That's fair. So right. here's another question for you. So this man, Mister Doctor, whatever, Noby, Noby, Doctor Noby, sitting there making these incantations into this videotape. Or a video tape recorder. Tape recorder. Pan- <laughs> right. The Panasonic tape recorder. Yes, the yes. Panasonic tape recorder. Why was that Kadarian demon not coming out at that time? Okay, so that was a big issue for me in the movie. I, I agree 100%. Sort of the logic of the possessions and the demonology and like when when he or it appeared when and with who, I was just kind of like, this is all over the place. And and just to take it back a second, I agree, too, because I felt like in the beginning of the movie, I, I literally was like, am I missing something? I was kind of like, whoa, like, who is this chick? Like, did she even get a name as the girlfriend? Linda. <laughs> Very quickly, right? Yeah. And then, like, she's, right, being given this necklace, and you're just like, wait, I don't even, like, uh, I don't even know what's going on. Like, I'm not feeling courted, you know? And then we, we get, like, these weird one-liners in there, like, well, you're a woman the last time I checked. And you're like... Ew, what? Ew, I don't, that's weird. That's weird to say that. Um, Yeah, and then you're just kind of like, it's a sequel, so we're kind of assuming that this, you know, dovetails right off the second one. I couldn't, off the first one, excuse me. And I couldn't remember where that left off. But then I'm thinking, dude, weren't you just in this cabin and like a ton of people died here? Why are you coming back to this cabin? What? Well, that's the point. That's the point, right? He isn't. It's It's a retelling of the first movie. So reimagining. So in the first movie, Linda's there and Linda dies. And in this, in 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 Evil Dead Two, they retell that without his sister and without the other man. Why? Because they. Because they didn't have the rights. Because they didn't have the rights to the movie. But why couldn't they hire a couple cheap actors and just have them sit in the cabin? Was beyond. So I had read that they originally intended to do four actors at the beginning, but but it would. It was too complex of a story to tell as quickly as they wanted to tell it. So they got rid of two of them and just kept him and Linda because that was the important part. The necklace and Linda bringing him back from possession was the important part of that of the so story. So was she in the first one where – like well, the one that we watched, the second one. He's playing the piano. She's dancing with underwear and a – Michigan State. Yeah, three-quarter length sleeve shirt on, <laughs> weirdly. Sure, <laughs> like, why is not? that from the first one? No, but is there anything wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that, right? Well, <laughs> I was shocked at his piano playing skills. No, I actually, that was the most interesting thing about this whole first part is he's a wonderful piano player and never do they really bring that up. And of course, he lost a hand. I guess that kind of shoots that whole thing. In the, <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Womp take womp. that all back. He can move to the organ and use his feet. I know. That was really impressive. I really appreciated that. That was very cool. Oh, well. One of the special effects that didn't need to be faked, <laughs> which we will get to in a little bit, no doubt. Um, but also, you know, we start kind of getting into this. Uh, yeah. So that, that was sort of my, you know, big, you know, t- to your point, right? Why so fast? Why are we back at this cabin? I understand that you're now saying that's a retelling. I don't know why we needed to go back and retell the same story. You know, uh, maybe there's something I'm not understanding with the rights issue, but just move on. I think all those people were dead anyways. So just move the story along. I didn't un- understand that. 
Um, but then, yeah, so we zoom through all the courtship and, like, what's happening there. Suddenly she's a zombie. And, like, can we jump straight into the, like, naked dancing zombie scene? No, not yet. That's later. <laughs> I have what? a lot to say about that. That's, that's, that's later. Okay. All right. But- well, I have nothing to say until we get there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, then let me move on. <laughs> At dawn, the evil force throws Ash through the woods. Ash briefly becomes possessed by the demon, but when day breaks, the force is gone and Ash returns to normal. Ash attempts to flee the area, but finds that the bridge leading to the cabin has been destroyed. The spirit chases Ash back to the cabin where Linda's revived head attacks him, biting his hand. Ash brings Linda's severed head to the shed where her headless body attacks him with a chainsaw. Ash gains the upper hand and slashes the relentless deadite Linda to death, killing her a second and final time. Then Ash's possessed right hand tries to kill him, and Ash is forced to sever his hand with his chainsaw. He then attempts to shoot the severed hand, hiding in the wall of the cabin. The hand mocks him and ultimately gets away. First, him being possessed by the demon. This is part of this mythology thing I don't understand. So he's possessed and he comes back. But what that does is it introduces this idea that you don't have to be dead for the demon to possess your body. You can be alive. So him cutting his girlfriend's head off like five seconds earlier, she wasn't dead. She was just possessed. If he'd have like chained her to a tree until daylight came, she'd be perfectly fine. So it's almost like a little bit like murder and less like putting them out of their misery. Yeah, that was actually my next big note was he went straight to chopping her head off. Like, without hesitation, let's be clear. <laughs> it was like, holy shit. Why did you take a shovel and, like, yeah, the, knock the her head off? strategically placed shovel. And slice. And, like, like didn't even pause for a second. Like, oh, this is my girlfriend. Maybe I shouldn't. And I believe in the first one, there was a lot more emotional struggle, if I remember. I, I remember feeling there, there was, like, this, I don't want to kill anybody. And did it. Like, there was a lot more back and forth hesitation. This was like, nope, let's just get wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, <laughs> get right <laughs> to it type of thing. I think there's a very distinct moment in this movie, and it's during this, this set of, of scenes, where the movie fully flips from what I consider to be a fairly um, a fairly decent attempt at a horror, just scary, you know, straight up scary movie to camp and on that on that uh, that journey. I know where you're going with this. So <laughs> he gets in the car and he goes back. Right. And the force is the demons following him uh, through, you know, through the, ca- the camera, the first person camera, which is what the demon always looks like. And I like how he goes back and he hits a what's he hit a tree and he goes straight through the windshield, which is you could say it was campy, you know that maybe. But then he hits his head. The demon comes for him. He's running all around the house inside the walls or whatever. And then he hides from the demon in the in the cellar. Which of course, why isn't Henrietta go for him then? But okay, we'll go with that. Uh, and then the uh, demon kind of pulls out away from, out of that cabin. And all that's like one continuous shot, which I think is the cool part of that whole that whole scene. But then, but then he's asleep, right? And he has the dream, and this is where he has the the Linda's body comes up out of the grave, way more decomposed than she would have been for the fifteen minutes she was in the <laughs> ground, right? And her head rolls up, and she does the dancing, and the piano is playing. The part that I think the camp starts is when she pops up outside the window, grabs his head, and slams it against the window slats like three or four times. And at that moment, he starts to do the Bruce Campbell, Ash, like over-exaggerated hitting it, hitting his head. And that's where I think the movie really starts to give up the pure horror and starts to buy into the camp as far as Bruce Campbell's character is concerned. Yeah, I mean, well, and, and just to dovetail on that, I mean, the first laughable moment for me was when the demon was chasing him through the house with that solid shot. Because I just started to giggle because all you can imagine is some dude with a camera on his shoulder chasing Bruce Campbell through the house as Bruce Campbell's basically trying not to laugh while (laughs) this this demon is chasing after him like, ah, like going up the stairs and going down the stairs, going up the elevator, going down the elevator, going around the back, going in the Like, it, it was just like, like that to me was a joke. So I thought that was funny. But then, of course, the next piece was when, you know, Linda's head bites bruce's hand and he has his head attached to his hand and he's whacking it around the room i mean <laughs> i was like okay it like that to me was funny well, that was well, like right we're smacking this head this goofy head that somehow that they have really 
stuck on this guy's hand <laughs> right around and he's just like bashing in his head over and over again well that's what i mean at that point it becomes camp right that's what, like right after the scene where she bashes his head into the slit to the slat is when he gets his hand bit so he's hitting it and he's doing the bruce campbell falling over thing and he's doing all this and over exaggerating his sort of like ah screaming so yes i think i definitely think that's where it gets funny if you will if i can use the word funny i'm not sure i can use that word but at least in enjoyable in a campy way i i agree like i you look at the cabin from from the woods point of view and you're like this is this tiny little cabin and then he goes through that chase scene and you're like how are there this many rooms and <laughs> did he go between walls at one point like yeah, I he was in the walls out, yeah. like and then all of a sudden pops out of the walls and then he he hides from the demon the demon then stops and does this brief like I'm uh-huh. looking around, like, left, right, left, right, left, right. Okay, I'm going to back out. Like Scooby-Doo. I was definitely laughing, like, not laughing out loud. I would say I was more chuckling quietly to myself, but it was definitely the part that I thought was entertaining. And then the whole Linda head thing. So you have this completely decomposed body dancing, trying to be seductive, but her head was, like, completely in good shape. Like, why wouldn't you massively decompose that as well? Well, it didn't get buried. Oh, so it's her. just the dirt that made all the flesh fall off? <laughs> I, I, maybe the demon was sucking her, like, life force or whatever was left out of her body, and that's why it was so... One of the quick funny things that I did see um, pop up in my research was that the, one of the books that was on the bookshelf when he's slapping her head around was um, Ernest Hemingway's A Farewell to Arms. But I don't think you can quickly see that as you're watching the movie. <laughs> it, well, I, the book does show up when he chops his hand off. And he puts it on top of the bucket that he puts on his hand. It says a farewell to arms there as well. Womp womp. Yeah. (laughs) I will say that I really, I really, obviously not to put too fine of a point on it, but the decline of my enjoyment of this movie immediately began with the naked zombie dancing body. I was just like, this was just clearly like some dude's effects, you know, wishless dream, needless to say. And it was like, I've got this great idea. Like, I, how cool would it be to see, like, a naked zombie dancing, you know, woman's body in this? And, like, I just felt like it was very forced. Like, I felt like didn't make any sense, right? The the decay, the zombification. Um, I, I didn't you, think it was particularly well done. And I personally, I mean, I just felt that it was, like, really disrespectful towards women generally. So I right there, I was just kind of like, I'm, I'm not liking this. You, so I did not enjoy that. You could have gotten a perfectly good, naked, undecayed body and used it, and it would have been better? Question mark. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to support that one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you may have liked it better. I'm not sure I would have liked it any better. I, I don't think it would have had the clunky effects of the skeletal lady. So it probably would have at least been chore- choreographed better. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. The that's stop, terror. the stop motion animation w- w- wouldn't have, uh, it wouldn't have needed that. So before Ash's hand sort of takes over, there's a scene where he's looking in the mirror. I didn't realize it when I first saw it. I mean, I thought it was it was a little shock. It was one of the shocking moments of the movie to me. It's when he pops out of the mirror, and I was like, wait a minute. It was a double standing there as Ash. You know, the the what, who you think of is not the the reflection, um, and then. They do the shot of the guy, the reflection choking him, and then they reverse the camera angle, and it shows him being choked, and then it pulls out, and he's choking himself. And I thought that was really well done. I enjoyed that little snippet of a scene. I like the idea. It bothered me because I saw that stunt double like a mile away, and you're just like, wait, that dude's not Bruce. Oh, oh, because he's coming through the mirror. Um, I think when I saw this originally... I didn't pick up on that, so I thought it was a really cool effect at the time. But I do agree with you that I really liked the idea that when they pulled away and he was choking himself, I thought that was very smart. Sort of that psychological twist. The other piece that we didn't talk about was just the head in the vice in the chainsaw scene. Oh, yeah. In, the, in like, the woodshed. What I will say, I think, that one of this movie's really strong points is, is just those effects. I mean, when you see the girlfriend's head in the vice, and, you know, it's the possessed demon, and then it comes back to right real linda i mean i'm kind of looking at that again like how are they doing this actually because they don't have cgi right this is what 1987 there's no cgi going on there like i was legit almost like wanted to freeze frame this to see how they were doing this right if they sort of had 
you know, uh, you know, if it was something in front of them, like a black, you know, screen, and then they sort of had half of the table in, in front of them, sort of like an old school fun house parlor trick or something like that. I'm not really quite sure, but I have to say I was very impressed with that scene. I mean, obviously the, the chainsaw bit was, it was interesting because I thought that the whole cutting was a little over the top. I was a little bit funny enough. I was a little bit like, I think the chainsaw would go through the head a little bit faster. That was actually one of my first thoughts. Um, but my second thought was, but I really appreciate them doing it in a silhouette. So it wasn't so grotesque and over the top. Um, I think, you know, these days we have a tendency to really want to go for, you know, the full picture for the full Monty type of thing. And I'm not sure that today's filmmakers would necessarily have restraint like that. So I, I did appreciate that. I have to say that the vice grip part was my, probably my favorite part. Like he has a really great line of her head's in a vice grip and he's yelling at her, you're going down. Like, <laughs> where is she going to go? She's just a head. And then her body comes in with a chainsaw when he looks for it and it's not in the spot that it's supposed to be. <laughs> I just thought that whole, when she comes in with the chainsaw, obviously you can't see anything or maybe she can see through her head in the vice grip. Not really quite sure how that works. Not sure how that works. <laughs> but it was, I thought that was a pretty cool scene. So to his hand, I thought Bruce Campbell did an excellent job of hand acting. I thought immediately when it sort of became zombified, if you will, or possessed, and it started to try to get his face, and, you know, he's holding it back, and he's kind of going through, you know, he's, he's in anguish, and it's trying to get him. I thought he did a good job. When it's smashing plates over his head in the kitchen, I thought he did a good job. When it's dragging his body, um, and, of course, they have the, the, the little noises and everything, uh, as it's trying to get the, uh, that, the um, cleaver. I thought that was really good. So I, I think he did an excellent job. Yeah, I thought the hand acting was great. It was making me laugh because it completely reminded me of Jim Carrey in Liar Liar when he does the claw. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but the idea is that his hands possess and it goes out. He tickles his children with it. So a much more joyful <laughs> incarnation of a possessed hand, if you will. Um, but yeah, no, I actually thought he did a great job, you know, with the hand like that, again, that was cracking me up, like the, the dishes over the head type of thing, like, okay, um, you know, that knocks him out. This was also the part though, where I started to realize sort of through and through how bad the makeup was. So that really started to bother me too. The fake blood, the erratically placed blood and makeup from one scene to the next, that's that's the most awesome thing they get drenched in blood and then the next scene the next shot they're clean that there's there's a minimal amount yeah of blood on them maybe yeah yeah so like that all things exactly like that's ridiculous but all things aside just even let's just assume that was something that we're going to go with because you can suspend belief and you know obviously movies like this but even like just the you know uh basic stuff like the facial makeup like, you should have consistent, well-done facial makeup, period. You know, if you get a cut halfway the movie, you retain that cut through the rest of the movie. Like, that is just a really, right, that's a fundamental of filmmaking. And they didn't seem to appreciate that through this movie. So I didn't, I didn't like that. You know, that irritated me throughout it. But I love the hand. I love that the hand had a voice, that the hand was in it of itself. <laughs> yes. possessed. Like, <laughs> like, whatever that <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool. I hated it at first, and then it really grew on me. And then I was like, no, I, I love it, that the hand has a voice. It grew on me when it saw the hatchet. Or not the hatchet, but the cleaver. And it yeah. was like, huh? And it's like, <laughs> you know. It was like uh, uh, Adam's family, too. Yeah, right? yeah. The that, little yeah. Hand. That, that's absolutely, and, absolutely. And, and yeah, the reaching and pulling the entire body with the nails going on. And, like, I loved all of his interactions with the hand. You know, and then he stabs it with the knife and he goes, who's got the last laugh now? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, you just stabbed yourself in the hand. So I thought all of that was funny. And then, you know, at some point he's yelling at it, you bastards, give me back my hand and i was just like that's that's like one of the most classic lines of the movie i just love that so i loved all the hand interaction scenes also the most unrealistic thing in the movie starting a chainsaw with your teeth <laughs> um i couldn't i couldn't buy into that you've done that come on yes no no i, I have not <laughs> have you tried <laughs> um, yeah i haven't tried i will say that i have not tried um we double dog dare you this weekend to, to try it out i don't know if you guys um <laughs> noticed this part and this is going back to after he gets rid of the girlfriend i guess permanently he she dies the second time shall we say Ugh, thank he, god so he leaves the shed and then puts that little latch hook on like oh this will take care of it in case she tries yeah. to come out and then right. he goes in and has this battle with his hand um i also enjoyed the hand i thought the hand was great the voice 
type of sound that it was making. Um, it's, it's just was, it, it also made me laugh. And the fact that he's battling this hand that has its mind of its own and it goes through a mouse hole, like it just yeah. seemed absolutely ridiculous. Meanwhile, Noby's daughter, Annie, and her research partner, Ed Gentley, return from the dig with the missing pages of the Necronomicon in tow, only to find the destroyed bridge. They enlist the help of locals Jake and Bobby Joe to guide them along an alternate trail to the cabin. The four of them find an embattled Ash who is seemingly slowly being driven insane by the demon, such as hallucinating that the room comes to life with objects in the room laughing hysterically at him. So I I love the laughing room. I was just like, this is such a great haunted house room. Like, I can't believe I haven't seen this, right, in like all the haunted houses that we've been to. So I, I, I love that. But given everything else, also, I was just like, where are we going with like these people landing on the flight? And oh, okay, she's the daughter. We saw her picture. So there's some continuity there. Congratulations, Sam. And she comes in, right? She's got this big honking trunk, but all she needs are like these couple of pages. So you're like, okay. We're clearly setting that up for a joke later on type of thing. I mean, it just felt very, again, like, at this point, I mean, you can hear it in my voice. I was becoming very irritated with the movie. Like, there seemed to be no care with the plot. There seemed to be almost little to no plot. There was little to no dialogue in the movie so far. That was the other thing that really started to irritate me. I was almost happy to finally go to, like, the plane landing and there actually some interaction with people because for the last 30 minutes or whatever, there has been no dialogue because it's just been Bruce Campbell fighting a demon and just effect after effect after effect after effect, right? There's like, and this is where I started going, you know what? This is such a dude movie. I was like, (laughs) so here's my analysis of why this is a dude movie. There's no dialogue. There's no plot. And there's no character development. But what there is, is we've got gore, we've got boobs, we've got unnecessarily unnecessary violence, we've got slapstick humor, we've got cheap effects, and duct tape fixes everything. <laughs> that about sums it up. <laughs> it's just like, and that's where I was kind of like, I, I think I remember watching this before and having more fun with it, and I was kind of like, eh, you know, maybe again it's just because when you're, you know, forced to really think about the movie, it really kind of detracts from just going along with it and kind of laughing along with it. But it, it was like, all right, I was ready for something different to happen. Well, here, we, let's talk about um, Annie for a moment. <laughs> because she, the daughter, is the scariest thing in this movie. Without, like, stage makeup. Yes. I, I With stage makeup, without it, she's still the scariest thing in this movie. <laughs> like, she wasn't made to look scary. Yes, I agree. She naturally, naturally looking was the scariest thing in the movie. Yeah, yes, her <laughs> her teeth and her jaw were so snake-like. I thought she was going to unhinge it and, like, eat something or somebody or everybody in the movie. Um, once, once she came into the movie, I think it started to go downhill for me. Her constant shrieking throughout the rest of the movie, just, I I wish that they had switched the actress of Annie with the actress of Linda, because Linda was much better to look at, and probably had a better scream. You only hear her scream really once, I think, when she gets pulled out the window, and that was much more realistic than Annie's shrieking. You you trade off two things. You have the introduction of other characters that allows you to have some conversation and dialogue, but then, uh, you know... It's those actors and actresses. It's Jake and Bobby Joe, you know, and it's Annie and Ed. And I just, it might not have been worth it. I maybe would have just rather seen Bruce Campbell laugh for another 45 minutes in that room and go insane. I don't know. I also thought that the interaction between Bobby Joe and Annie was kind of awkward. Like they were trying to have a showdown between the two women over, I'm not really quite sure what. And it was just like, so Bobby Joe and Jake are these country bumpkins and i but, guess but and, bobby joe's actually a better better looking woman yeah which is like the weird thing <laughs> I, I, I was like i think you're trying to make her look like a country bumpkin hooker but she actually is kind of pretty yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sorry yeah, it, w- it was confusing to me when they first showed her because they didn't show her with jake at first they turn around and there she is and at first i'm like was she in the car with annie and ed and then she I don't know, she has some chew or something like that and spits it out in the yard on the ground or something. 
And I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's who she is, I guess. But yeah, it didn't. The actress didn't seem to fit the part that they were going for for her. I I think what would have made sense if they had done a little bit more of like a Grease character like, dichotomy, where you had like a Sandra D, right, versus who was the other chick, Roz or whomever. So you had good girl, bad girl type mm -hmm. of thing, and and they, she could have been just as good looking, just very in a different way. But they were so unequally attractive <laughs> and not different enough characters that yeah, it just set up the whole thing like. What are we trying to do here? And furthermore, why is that country bumpkin dude with this chick? Or why, she, why is she with him? Right. Is what I mean to say. You're, the whole thing was kind of confusing for sure. Um, so I, I read that the only reason why they hired Jake to play the country bumpkin because he actually had teeth that he could remove. What? That was his only... Bonus. Yeah. <laughs> You're hired. I'm a big fan of the large gaps. The four new arrivals meet Ash at the cabin and listen to a recording of Nobi detailing how his wife Henrietta was possessed by the Kandarian demon, forcing him to kill her. They find Miss no Mrs. Nobi, now a deadite, in the cabin's root cellar, and it attacks and possesses Ed. Ash dismembers him with an axe. Bobby Joe tries to escape, but is attacked by, the by demon trees and dragged to her death. Annie translates two of the pages before Jake turns on them and throws the pages into the cellar, holding them at gunpoint to force them to go look for Bobby Joe. Ash is possessed once again and turns on his remaining companions, incapacitating Jake. Annie retreats to the cabin and accidentally stabs Jake, mistaking him for a possessed Ash, and drags him to the cellar door where he is killed by Henrietta in a gory bloodbath. Deadite Ash tries to kill Annie but returns to his normal self when he sees his girlfriend Linda's necklace. I appreciated that Mrs. Noby was actually a man, so that gave truth to the fact that Annie was as hideous as she was. <laughs> um, that was one ugly-looking, dead, deadite Mrs. Noby. <laughs> yeah, it was Ted, right? Ted Raimi, yeah. the brother of Sam Raimi, the director. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I knew that seeing the seeing her for the first time. Oh yeah, you could tell yeah, that's I, a man. I recognized. Oh him. yeah, and laughing the entire time, right? Just cracking up. Which I mean, think I think I added to the creepiness. It caught me off guard at first as well because you're like, I think that the mom would be really pissed off and scary and trying to like, you know, kill or eat everybody, but. Okay, if you want to like laugh and have a good time with it, yeah, we could do that. <laughs> like, and that was like a, a going back to something that you said about like the makeup quality. Mm -hmm. So I know it was supposedly super hot during the filming of this. So this poor man who's dressed up as a woman in a fat suit was apparently just pouring so much sweat into the suit that they had to like remove the sweat each night. Ugh. So as the end of the the movie, they saved all of the sweat and apparently played a prank on Ted. But I not it didn't say exactly what the prank was from what I what I read. That's disgusting. It I don't disgusting. even want to know. Whatever they did, I'm sure it was <laughs> disgusting. The other part when um I think it's I think it's um the possessed mother coming out of the cellar with with the mask with all the teeth in it. I thought that was again just like a really great mask, like really great effects. I mean, at this point, I literally was just like, this is an entire effects movie. Again, there's no little to no plot, no character development. You know, I, I, don't, I don't care anything about any of these characters. I was really disappointed in Bruce Campbell's character because he's so witty and interesting. And, um, you know, we're not getting any of that in this movie. And it's just effect after effect. After effect. What did you think about After the eyeball? <laughs> I hated it. I hated it. I was just like, that's like the nail in the coffin. I didn't think they paid it off. I, you know, they stomp on the demon's head and the eyeball flies out and it flies in Bobby Joe's mouth. But then like that, the next thing you see, is she's running out of the cabin, which I, I get it. But there was no her spitting the eyeball out or right. something. I expected that neck, that next piece, but didn't get it. So the other part I found pretty funny, and this was at um, Jake's expense, was when he stabbed in the in the gut uh, by Annie, and then she's trying to close the door, and she's hitting him, <laughs> and she's dragging him a little more, and closing the door, and hitting him, and he's screaming, and then when she finally gets the door closed, she's dragging him, and I think the actress is actually dragging the actor across the floor. You can see she's using all of her might to move him and he's screaming and she's screaming to him, shut up! <laughs> and like, I thought that was one of the, the funnier parts of the, mo the movie. Yeah, so then she drags him to the cellar door, which is a mistake, obviously. And Henrietta pulls him down in and then you get one of the blood baths with all the blood coming out of the cellar door um, and uh, and she's all drenched in blood and then 
she stands up and she has no blood on her at all. <laughs> it's fantastic. I was confused over the multiple colors of blood that were gushing out of things until I read up on it. Um, they were trying to avoid an X rating, so they thought using different colors of blood would get them to be rated R, I suppose, and, and ended up not helping, so they got unrated anyway. So keeping it more in the uh, Kool-Aid range of <laughs> That blood green one? Colors. I was like, what, what's the green mean? I didn't understand why there were so many different colors. And then I was like, oh, I, I see. I oh, yeah, the dark matter. blood. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was weird. Yeah, the, the demon blood, kind of, if right. you will. Yeah. Ash, with Annie's help, modifies the chainsaw and attaches it to his stump, where his right hand had been. Ash eventually finds the missing pages of the Necronomicon and kills Henrietta, who has turned into a long-necked monster. After he kills Henrietta, Annie chants an incantation that sends the Kandarian demon back to its origin. The incantation opens up a whirling temporal vortex, which not only draws in the demon, but nearby trees, Ash's Oldsmobile Delta 88, and Ash himself. Meanwhile, Ash's severed hand stabs Annie. Ash and his Oldsmobile land in the year 1300 AD. He is then confronted by a group of knights who initially mistake him for a deadite, they are quickly distracted when a real one shows up. Ash blasts the harpy-like deadite with his shotgun and is hailed as a hero who has come to save the realm, at which point he breaks down and screams in anguish. I think one of the funnier parts here is when Annie's chanting the incantation. Like, so she gets stabbed? What? I can't it, remember what happens there. At the end. Yeah, and then she's slowly trying to get these words out, and then yep. pops down dead, and then pops back up, and she's like, oh, I can get one more one more word out to send this demon back to its vortex portal thing. I, I, thought, I thought that was pretty funny. This is where Ash becomes Ash, right? This is where he gets the chainsaw on the stump, and he gets the sawed-off shotgun, and he kind of has the leather belt strapping around with the holster. So all that happens, which I think is the best part of this part of the movie right um and then he goes down into the basement and there's there are moments within that part where he's in the basement where it's creepy i guess because he's alone down there although once again it's like how big is this basement he goes through like multiple rooms and you're like what is down there why is anything really down there i felt like that was the whole point of this was to get ash where he needed to be i felt that when he's fighting the long-necked monster with the chainsaw hand i don't know if there's a technical term for that it just looked really awkward and then i was thinking how and i know this is a movie and it's a really fake movie like this is not even trying to be real but logistically this chainsaw is like how, how much do you think that weighs like 40 pounds 30 pounds like how awkward is that that you're trying to use it as a hand to kill things and also it just didn't make sense to me like i get that this is his whole thing like this is his shtick but like it just doesn't seem like real like you could pull this off so the practicality of the chainsaw strapped to the arm, fighting the long-necked dragon with the <laughs> yes. vortex behind it, it was the weight of the chainsaw that bothered you. Yes, I felt like it would throw off my balance. I, I, like, I tried to like think about it personally. Like If I was trying to fight off a long-necked demon with a chainsaw hand, I don't think I'd be able to stand up straight. Like yeah. I'd fall over. Yeah. I think he does curls. <laughs> <laughs> there was actually you know exhaust coming out of out of the chainsaw I'm not sure where it was coming out of since he had like half of a stump in there but he had um like the, the effect was like some rigged device where the smoke was actually um cigarette smoke oh yeah so he had rigged so that it would look realistic very cool very cool i do like the fact that when they were rigging the chainsaw they were doing some sort of soldering and something on the chainsaw that kind of made you think they thought through the idea of him starting it with his his shirt or whatever he has on and then being able to rev it somehow with, I don't know, muscles in his wrist. I don't really know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they they showed that and you're like, okay, I, I got it. I, I can buy into that. Sure, why not? If a hand can have a mind of its own, then the chainsaw should be just automatically a part of your body. <laughs> this is true. Why not? So it ends, of course, with with Ash getting sucked through the vortex and getting delivered to the year 1300 AD, and the knights, of course, uh, end up worshipping him at the end, which is completely opposite of what happens when we see the opening to Army of Darkness, where it plays out much differently. Sort of in the same way this movie recapped the first movie, 
uh, Army of Darkness recaps this movie and then changes it, where he's actually put in chains instead of being worshipped as a hero. All right, so we've done the review, so let's move on to rating the movie. Only the best movies make it to the top of the hill, and to be the best, they have to perform in three categories. First, technical composition, which represents how well the movie is made, including the script, directing, cinematography, acting, and effects. The impact, which represents how well the movie accomplished its emotional intent. Was it scary or funny? Did it make you question mankind or the nature of your reality? And enjoyment, which is pretty simple. How much did you enjoy watching the movie? Would you watch it again? Do you never want to see it again? Let's talk about the technical composition of this of this movie first. The only really good actor on there was... Bruce Campbell? Yes, Bruce Campbell. I was like, what's his real name? Um, <laughs> I thought he was the only real good actor. And, and maybe it's because he is the one that's the most prominent throughout the whole film. Um, the, the, the effects were, some were really good, some were really bad. So I, I just, you know, I would, I rated it a four. <laughs> okay. And what do you think about technical composition? So what I thought, you know, again, about this film was that it was an entire effects exposition. I mean, that's all this film was to me. And, you know, I really, from a technical perspective, appreciated that. It, it was almost literally like, you know, a documentary of movie effects for me. And um, I really enjoyed, like I said, the opening and the double exposure and a lot of the practical effects. I thought those were great. I thought a lot of the, the um, you know, masks and some of the makeup were, were really well done. I mean, a lot of the effects were goofy in many ways, but I was cool with that. So um, generally, I thought that was this movie's hands down strongest point, And I gave it a seven for technical. Okay, so I have a grand unified theory of this movie. And I'm going to lay it on you right now. So when I first started watching this movie, I was watching it the wrong way. First, I thought, it's a horror movie, so I'm going to watch it for it being scary. And that was wrong, because it's a campy horror movie, right? So then I was like, I'm going to watch it to see if it's kind of funny. And then I realized that this movie is actually a superhero origin story. They have to get you to ash at the end with the shotgun and the chainsaw on his stump and it moves they they can't just start campy they gotta move you from what you think you're gonna see which is a horror movie move you to the camp and then build ash to what he is and you could make an argument that what he goes through in this movie as um as signified through the the cabin laughing scene where everything's laughing and he's laughing he's sort of losing his mind that is what makes him what he ends up being later on. The sort of can't form attachments, the sort of womanizing sort of guy, the the quippy. By the end of the movie, he's starting to do the quips, you know, which he didn't do before. Like, you know, the, the demon says, we'll eat your soul. And he says, eat this and, you know, double barrel shotguns, it, like, that yeah. sort of thing. So to me, this is a superhero origin story. That's what it is. And when I kind of came to that realization... It made more sense to me. Having said all of that, I'm actually going to score this a three. All right, next let's talk about impact. And what do you think about the impact? I think you can probably tell what I thought about the impact. Uh, there wasn't much of one. Um, I didn't love the movie. Again, I didn't think it had any plot. I didn't think it had any lasting value, quite honestly. Sorry, Sam Raimi. I am a fan, but just mm, maybe we'll remake this one. Um, so I don't have a lot of commentary here. I gave it a two. Okay, Helen? Um, I I thought that the movie had a lot of elements that a horror movie, like of, of just general horror movies. It had a haunted house type thing. It had a possession type thing. It had like Walking Dead type things um haunted woods like creepy demon but there were so many elements of horror movies thrown into this one movie in an hour and a half and i didn't think it put it very well together and then you're trying to say is this funny is this horror horror funny i don't i don't it just didn't it didn't go too well together to me so i gave it a four so i also gave it a four and i agree back to my grand unified theory this movie is a transition movie to me, and that transition didn't go very smoothly. By the time you get to the end of the movie with Ash, how he is, 
and then subsequently in Army of Darkness, and then especially in the TV show, you see what the fully formed mythology and um, balance between horror and comedy is. And this movie just didn't have it to me. Obviously, there are aspects of it just from the effects and the the um, sort of professionalism of the actors, aside from Bruce Campbell, that in, that kind of draws down the impact. So, yes, I gave it a four as well. And finally, the enjoyment. So, Helen. I enjoyed this much better the second time around than, a, than the first um, time that I saw it when I was a teenager. Um, I gave it a five. I, I was, I guess, expecting less the second time around, so I wasn't disappointed. <laughs> Got, gotcha. And? Yeah, I mean, this was one of those where, again, I think that I had come to sort of know and love the Bruce Campbell band, you know, character, Ash, as the modern-day caricature that he is. And he's so well-developed. And he's so underdeveloped and underwhelming in this rendition of him. Um, candidly, at the end of the day, I don't want to see this movie again. I don't think I'd find any further enjoyment watching this movie again. Please don't make me watch this movie again. I'm rating it a one. <laughs> wow. Well, I didn't go that far. I, I rated it a four. There are scenes I like in this movie. And there are pieces of this movie I like. And I appreciate it for what it's trying to build as far as Ash's character. But I wouldn't sit down and watch this movie again, probably. So now that we've given the movie our scores, uh, Anne, why don't you uh, take us through the scale and then give us our individual scores and then the overall score for Evil Dead 2. Sure thing, Ray. So if you guys recall, we have a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest and 10 being the greatest level of enjoyment and rating for our movies. 1 through 3 being the lowest. For Evil Dead 2, we're categorizing this as you're making me cry bad blood makeup. It's so bad. Please make it stop. 4, 5, 6 is right there in that uh, we're getting a wavering thumbs up, thumbs down from the possessed hand. 789 is, I'm having a good time. I'm calling that groovy, baby. And number 10 is, I loved it so much, I'm hanging an autograph chainsaw over the mantle. So, Ray, you're first up. Your overall rating of this theatrical performance was a 3.67. Congratulations for finally breaking your streak. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, you were the most generous of the Raiders, coming in at a 4.33. And I was rounding out the bottom of the barrel, as you can imagine, on that one, on a 3.33. The only thing saving this movie for me were those effects. So the movie itself came in at a total average of a 3.78. Okay, well, 3.78 definitely is not at the top of the hill. I kind of feel a little bad because I do love Bruce Campbell and I do love Ash Williams as a character. But yes, this movie had a lot lacking. I love Ash. I just cannot give this movie anything. I, I'm glad it resided wholly below a four, to tell you the <laughs> truth. And the only thing, again, you know, really redeeming it were the technical effects at the end of the day. But, you know, in Bruce Campbell's credit, you know, I think he's a great actor. He did a great job. If we were to review the TV series, I mean, we would be rating that, you know, I think off the charts. That would be very close to the top of the hill. He's definitely what made the movie. Mm -hmm. More Bruce Campbell playing piano, please. Let's just get that on, on a reel. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this podcast, help us grow our audience. Rate and review us on iTunes, and please share with your friends and family on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Thank you for joining us for this review of Evil Dead 2. Hope you will join us next time when we review the 1996 American slasher film, Scream.